morning we want to exalt the name of Jesus as we sing. We sing, great is the Lord. No one can measure his greatness. He is worthy to be praised. Let's sing this together.
so many things about Norris Ferry Community Church. Most importantly, I love the people of Norris Ferry. But when I think about why and what I love about this church, there are so many things I could say. The, the people, the, the worship, especially now how we long, I long to gather together. But I love gathering together with the people to worship. I love our community groups. I love that everyone pitches in and serves and it's not that 80-20 rule. I uh, just love the general passion that, that the people that we have for the gospel being central in everything we do, a real heart for the word of God and not compromising it, and, and just the fact that everyone tries their best to be faithful to what God has revealed in his word. I, I love so much about this church. But you want to know what I, I love the most about this church. I mean, it's not like I love it more than the word of God, the gospel, but what I really appreciate and find unique about this church is that I love the way you love each other. I mean, that is one of the greatest testimonies of, or the fruit of all that I was just saying, the, the fruit of loving the gospel, loving Jesus, loving the word is shown out and bore out in the way that you love each other. It's, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And I love that about this church. And I say that because we come to chapter 16 and can you believe this is our final chapter in 1 Corinthians? I cannot believe we're to the end of 1 Corinthians this week and next week as we wrap up the book. But as we come to the end of this book, Paul is giving his final words to Corinth. And as you know, final words are always important. And what's interesting is in this closing part of his letter, his final words aren't some deep theological reflection his final words are very practical today. They're very practical instructions about the collection. We're, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 12. And in these verses, the, Paul is going to just give some very practical instructions about things going on in the church that he thinks are important. And what we see this is all about, it's all about gospel community. The, the community of care for one another or to put it another way, the gospel community loving each other. And so we're going to look today, we're going to see three ways that the gospel moves Christians to care for one another. Three ways the gospel moves us to love one another. And my prayer is that God just makes this love, the, the love of Christ that's in us abound more and more as we study this passage. So pray with me. Lord, I do ask that, that as we study this, this word, that, that even though we're not together, may the love of Christ that is in us continue more and more to abound in our lives. That we will continue, even in this time of separation, to love one another with the love that you've shown us. Lord, we pray this to your glory, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're going to look at three ways the gospel moves us to help each other, to love one another. The first is financially. We see that the gospel moves us to very practically love each other financially. I'm getting this from verses 1 through 4. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church, churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside 
and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So go back and look at verse 1 and look what Paul says. This is a phrase he uses a lot. He says, now concerning, this is a phrase that he has used all throughout his letter that seems to indicate he's responding to a letter that they have written him. And each time he addresses point by point the issues that they've raised in the letter to him, he says, now concerning this, now concerning that. And here we see he's transitioning to the next subject, one of his last subjects in the letter, which is now concerning the collection for the saints. And so what Paul is talking about is some sort of collection. And the, the Greek word used here for the word collection actually uh, indicates that he is referring to or they are asking specifically about the, the logistics, the very practical logistics of collecting this money. They're not asking about the theolog theological reason, like why are we collecting money? They're asking literally how and the what's of collecting the money. And so Paul is responding to this question. But what collection are they talking about? What collection are, are we referring to here in this text? And we can tell if you look down in verse 3, we'll see in just a minute, he mentions Jerusalem. And in other parts of scriptures, it's, it's indicated that Paul had instructed the various churches that he had planted to all of them to do this same collection to collect money that ultimately was for the benefit of the very poor Christians who were living in Jerusalem. And so people from completely different regions were being told and asked, would you collect money to support the churches, the Christians who were very poor in Jerusalem? Now at first we think, okay, it sounds good, but we need to stop and think about what, who these people are. The people in Corinth were pagans. They were Gentiles who had come to Christ and gathered in Corinth, in the church of Corinth, or they are called the Corinthians. Now that's a Gentile church. The people in Jerusalem were the Jews. This is where the church first started. We read about this in Acts. And the, the Jews in Acts gathered together and those who came to know Christ as the Messiah became believers in Christ, followers of Christ, but they were very, very poor. We learn this in Acts, that they were poor, so poor that they had to, <clears throat> excuse me, they had to sell their possessions and, and try to take care of one another. And out of their poverty, they raised up funds to send out the gospel with Peter and Paul, and, and Paul took the gospel and, and supported the gospel expansion of the message to the Gentiles. Ultimately, it led to the Gentiles. And so you have Jews and Gentiles. And during this time, they really lived at a, a difficult stage. They were in a, a transition stage, if you will. Before Christ, all of God's people knew to operate in, according to the Jewish law, which detailed ceremonial regulations and dietary regulations and, and all sorts of the, the guidance on how to interact and, and have a relationship with God. Now, Christ came, he was buried, he rose again, he fulfilled the law. The Bible tells us that 
because Christ fulfilled the law, we don't have to live by those laws anymore. But that was a difficult thing for the Jews to grasp. And so they had a hard time knowing how to think about these Gentiles. As word was coming back to them in Jerusalem, they were hearing these Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. And they were struggling to accept them on equal grounds and struggling to understand how to process this new community of faith that was made up of Jews and Gentiles without the law. And so if you think about it, there's been this dividing wall, the Bible says, between the two, the Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. And now you have this call of the Gentiles to say, hey, I want you to take a collection and send that money back to the Jews, many of whom, though you know they blessed you and led to the planting of your church, you know that many of them looked down upon you or struggled to see you as equals in Christ, struggled to accept you. And so this is a big request that Paul is making of them saying, hey, I want you to collect this money. Ultimately, we're going to take it to the Jews in Jerusalem and bless them. Now, if we go to Romans chapter 15, we can see Paul made this a collection across various other areas of the of the region. He says in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 26 of Romans, he says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So this is not just going on in Corinth, it's going in Macedonia and other places. But then notice the reason behind. Why would Paul ask these Gentile churches to give money to the Jewish churches in Jerusalem? He says, for they were pleased to do it. Why? And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. And I want you to notice that word share. The, the word in Greek is koinonia. And, and that word has with it literally the idea to come into communion with, to, to have communion with, to share in fellowship with, to become a sharer with, to be made a partner. And so what, what Paul is saying is that when you participated in the grace of God, when you shared in the spiritual blessings that God gave you through the Jews in Jesus, you have communion, you have koinonia, you have partnership, you have fellowship, you have community with them. You are fellow partners and sharers in their suffering. Another way to think about it is the gospel makes them family. They become a spiritual family. They become brothers and sisters in Christ. Though they couldn't be more radically diverse and more radically different and from completely different backgrounds and ethnicities and race and economic differences and every possible difference, they are fellow sharers in the Spirit of God through faith in Christ and that makes them one spiritual community or family. And so now the way they operate with one another is on the, the, in the context of love, gospel, grace, and love. 
And so this Jewish church has sacrificed for the gospel to be spread, which led to the Gentile church coming to formation as they heard the gospel and responded to Paul's preaching. And now they are family, and Paul is saying, now I need you to take up a collection to be taken back to the Jews because they are desperately poor and they have great need because you are family. So it's really an exciting concept to see the the idea of Paul bringing back this contribution from these, Jew, from these Gentiles who the Jews were finding a hard time receiving. But imagine as Paul comes to Jerusalem with this offering saying, this is from these Gentiles. Think about the beauty, the, the glory of the gospel that's displayed there and how unifying that is for the, the overarching, the, the larger universal body of Christ. And so it's very important that they get these instructions right and they follow through. This is an act of grace. Paul's going to talk a lot about this when we get into 2 Corinthians uh, in a few weeks, that, that the reason that they give is it's an act of grace. It's, it's empowered and influenced and motivated by the grace that they've experienced in God, that the gospel of God's outpouring of his resources, his sacrifices for the good of his people and the filling of the Spirit of God empowers us to give the way he has given to us. It's, it's another, another term is, is it's love. This is what love looks like. Love is not just some emotion that we feel. Love is practically expressing and acting for the good of others, even at great cost or sacrifice to ourselves. So what we need to realize implied in these instructions is that when a person experiences the grace of God or the love of God through Jesus Christ, the sacrificial love that brought us reconciliation and blessing and all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places at great cost to God, despite the fact that we don't deserve it, when we experience that, we begin to sacrificially love those who now we view as our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that includes loving them by sharing financially. In Paul's practical answer to their logistical questions about how to collect the money, uh, we see some very practical help for us into thinking about how we should give as followers of Christ. Simply put, Paul's going to say, He's going to instruct us to make it a priority to systematically contribute a percentage of our income. Let me show you where I get this from in verse 2. In verse 2, he's going to, to tell us these words. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so Paul gives us three points here that I'm going to just elaborate that kind of are in that sentence that Paul is instructing us to make it a priority to systematically contribute a percentage of our income for the gospel ministry of love. When he, when he says on the first day, we see this is a priority. Now I don't want you to get overly literal or legalistic uh, it doesn't mean that literally every Sunday you have to cut the check, but it indicates a priority. 
that it shouldn't be on the last day of the week. It shouldn't be the last leftovers that you have at the end of the month because we know that that'll be nothing. But Paul is saying, make it a priority. Other places call it a first fruits of the harvest. You don't give to God what's left over. You give him of the first fruits. So make it a priority to give. And notice systematically, every week. It doesn't mean that we have to do it weekly, but it means that it should be on a with regularity, not just when I happen to have enough, not when I feel like it, not when I don't have anywhere else to spend it, but we need to make it a priority to give systematically. And finally, he says, as he may prosper. Now, I'm calling this a percentage. That If you think about it, if all of us, all believers, say we're going to give the same percentage of our income or the same percentage of what God has prospered us with, we're all giving equal sacrifice. But for those who God prospers uh, greatly, their percentage, though it's the same, will result in a much greater dollar amount. And those whom God has chosen not to to burden or to put that responsibility on them, their percentage is the same, their sacrifice is the same, but the dollar amount will be lower. So that's, when we give a percentage, that's the way of obeying this implication, or obeying what we see implied in these instructions, as he may prosper. And so what we see here is God expects his people who have experienced the lavish grace and the sacrificial contributions of God to us through faith in Christ, he expects us to make it a priority to systematically give a percentage of that which he has blessed us with so that the ministry, the love, the gospel of love may go forth. So Paul is saying this to us, and as I think about applying this to us, I I think of both a, a challenge for some of us, but I also think of great encouragement for most of us. Now, let's, I'll let you decide which camp you fall in, the challenge or the encouragement. Let me just talk about the challenge first. When I think about this, I just want to challenge every member that, I mean, I know there's always exceptions, and I'm trying not to overstate it, but I can't imagine not giving anything to the church. Now, I've had different people in different stages of a life ask me about certain exceptions. And, and, and if, if you're in that category, I'm not trying to be legalistic. I think you have to pray and discern, is the Lord telling me, you know, what is the Lord telling you to do and obey him? But most of us, I cannot imagine most of us having any excuse for not giving to the church at all. And I often say this, and it comes across, I try to say it gently because it could come across really harsh, and I don't mean it harsh, but let me just ask this. How can someone who's experienced the extraordinary generosity of God to them in Jesus Christ come week, every week, come to church, or virtually every week, come to church, enjoy donuts, Enjoy a cup of coffee. Enjoy the, the dry building when it's raining and the air conditioning when it's hot outside and come and have people 
serve you, whether it's musicians pointing you to, to glory in God through music or whether it's someone who's preaching the word or someone's teaching your children, how can you come in here, experience the, the blessings of such grace from God through all these means to you and not give a dime? As a, and I'm not talking to guests, please hear me. I'm talking to covenant members of this community who, who read what God expects, who signed the covenant saying, yes, I want you to help me be faithful to obey the word of God. It, there's just no excuse for that. And we need to repent if, if, that's, if, that's the, if that's where we find ourselves. It's not about the cost of the coffee. It's not about the cost of the air conditioning. It's not about the cost of the building. It's just, I want to encourage you to start somewhere. If you're not giving, even if it's just $1, set it up. Go online and set it up automatically. I'm going to make it a priority to systematically give $1 every week or every paycheck. I want you to see the blessing of obeying God in this area of your life. Dana and I started out poorly in our marriage. We didn't set it up on automatic. We made that weekly decision. We show up at church and and uh, it just wasn't the priority it needed to be. Our hearts weren't right. And so it just happened to be, we always seemed to forget to put something in the offering plate. And then we'd get home and then when it dawned on me, I'd feel guilty and then I would look at our bank account and I'm like, well now it's like, oh, two weeks or three weeks or we haven't given. And, and it just was a burden until finally, many years later, sadly, I have to admit, we finally just said, you know, we're going to set it up on auto draft. I had read some people said, it's not an act of worship if you do that. Well, it was an act of worship for us. So we set it up on auto draft and we prayed about how much and we set up percentage and we said, Lord, we're going to give this. We're going to trust you. In those days, trust me, it was a big act of faith to trust the Lord. We had both taken huge cuts in pay because of our circumstances to stay home with children and for me going into full-time vocational ministry out of a financial planning and investments background. It was a big act of faith to say we're going to set apart this much as a percentage of our income and we'll continue to pray and keep our eyes open, Lord, that if you give us other opportunities to give, we will try to obey there as well. I'm just going to tell you, we, we've made it just fine. And God has given us the joy of giving. And I just want to encourage you to, to, to trust God in this area. Set it up. Set it up systematically. Make it a priority. Systematically give a percentage of what God has blessed you with. And watch God turn it from a burden to joy in your life. Next, I want to encourage you if you've been giving. And I'm just going to tell you, that's, that's most people. I want to tell you, this church is so faithful, and we are so blessed by your faithfulness that it is a joy to see. But I want to help you know where your money goes. You may think, where does the money go? I want to encourage you. Do you realize that when you give to the church, when you entrust that money to be stewarded by the leaders of your church, do you know you're supporting missionaries all over the world, 
local missionaries, national missionaries, missionaries all around the world. And in every, behind every missionary, there's a community that they're ministering to. They're feeding the poor in Jesus' name. They're ministering. They're rebuilding homes. They're starting ministries. They're taking care of people all in the name of Jesus as they share the gospel. Did you know that you are supporting the third largest disaster volunteer disaster relief organization the southern baptist has the third largest not far behind the red cross that when disasters happen we rush in volunteers take care of needs your help supporting that did you know that you are fostering in louisiana baptist children's home you are fostering love and support for children who don't have families and don't have a support network did you know you're providing for people right here in Shreveport, ministries all around the community, and right here in our own church, when people have needs to help, they lose their job, or they, they need help paying the electric bill or their rent, you are helping taking care of that by doing this, making it a priority to systematically give a percentage of that which God has blessed you. Now, as far as accountability for the leaders, we see that, that the leaders were expected to be faithful with what God did for them. God, tell, he, Paul says, and when I arrive, looking at verse 3, he says, and when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, then they will accompany me. So Paul is saying, I'm going to put some measures in place that provide for safe, accountable stewardship of these funds. And, and I want you to know, that's what we as your leaders, and I'm very proud of the leadership of this church and how we've handled money, that when, when this pandemic hit, it was a great opportunity to be like, oh my goodness, how are we going to be financially? And there was one day, one Sunday, when we, the first Sunday that we didn't meet, that virtually, I think, $200 came in that day, happened to already come in the mail, but, which I'm thankful for. But it was, it was a moment of, wow, wonder what the Lord's going to have in store for us. And then as we looked at our financial situation, man, I was so blessed. I was hearing stories of, of churches and different organizations that were really going to struggle if they hadn't been faithful to, to be good stewards or faithful stewards of the money that God had entrusted to them. And I just want to tell you, we are so blessed. We've been very faithful stewards of the resources, and we are going to be able to just keep ministering. And instead of this time being a time where we are in panic and looking for how we can be helped, we are able, we are pursuing, we are beating bushes, and, and we are putting out the word, how can we help people in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I praise the Lord for that. In addition to helping financially, these verses teach us that the gospel also moves us to help in very practical ways as well. I get this from verse 5. Look at verse 5 through verse 8 and 9. He says, Now I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia... And perhaps I will stay with you or, or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. That's an important sentence. 
That's so that, the purpose. He says, I hope to come see you so that you may help me on the journey. For I do not want you to see, or I do not want to see you now just in passing. I want to spend some time with you. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. So here we see Paul expects the gospel will make the church in Corinth willing to help him. Now think about this. If you've been with us studying Corinth, the the letter, Corinthians letter, we see there's been some angst between the church and Paul. Many of them have been challenging Paul's authority. They've been, you know, challenging him. Like, who are you to tell us these things? We've had these great uh, experiences that they've kind of think of themselves as having been enlightened and they're challenging Paul and his authority. Now Paul's writing back concerning this, that, and the other. He says, now concerning that, but now let me tell you, I'm coming to see you, I want to see you, and when I do, I want to spend some time there, and when I do, guess what? I need your help. Very practical help. He knows that the gospel will, he expects that the gospel will produce within them a willingness to help him, even Paul, who they're a little bit at odds with, to help him in some very practical ways. He has this sense that the Lord is sovereign over his life. The Lord is guiding him. The Lord has called him to give his much of his time and energies to support the spread of the gospel ministry. He's trying his best. He's working part-time labor as a tent maker. We see from other verses that Paul made tents by night and spent a lot of time or by day, and they spent ministry by night, but he was working a lot of hours both in the gospel and providing for himself. But then he says, but I need some help. I need you to be willing to help me. And so implied in this is that God gives his people a heart to support in very practical ways other people and including those who are called into the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the full-time or at least part-time vocational ministry. Again, The gospel loosens our grip on our resources. Again, I can can praise you for your faithfulness in this. Just last, I guess a couple weeks now, we announced that we uh, are so excited to hire our new student minister, Jake Borum and his wife, Rachel, and his son, their son, Jackson. And we're super excited about them coming, and we've said pray for them, and I do ask you to continue to pray. They're making progress moving from North Carolina to Shreveport. But if you can imagine in this time how challenging that may be, it is so incredible that we were talking, I was talking to Jake, and I was saying, how can we help you? And, and he, he said, well, I'm going to come look for a home on this date. And we said, well, let's see if we can find a place for you to stay. I mean, the last thing we would do is just say, hey, uh, there's a good hotel down the road. That ideally, if we can, we want to be faithful to love them well and, and help them. And so as I began to think about where they might be able to stay while they're here looking for a house... I began to think, man, this is a little different. Normally I could think of about 15 people I could call to say, hey, you have an extra room, can they stay with you? But with, with the pandemic and the coronavirus going on, I was like, man, that's not going to be a good idea. But you know how long it took me to find someone willing to, to let them use an extra space that they have that wasn't in their home? One phone call. Actually, one text. Less than one minute. 
I got off the phone. I said, hey, let me see what I can dig up. Uh, I'm going to try to find you a place to stay. And I told him normally it's not a problem, but maybe it will be. A, let me see. And one minute later, I texted him back and said, hey, got you a place to stay. I texted one person and said, hey, can they stay at y'all's, other, at y'all's place? And they were like, absolutely. That is incredible. That was faithfulness. That's the gospel producing love in very practical ways. And that's what Paul is expecting happens. When we experience the gospel, the gospel of grace, it produces financial help for others. It produces very practical help for others. And finally, the third way the gospel moves us to help others is, I'm going to call this emotionally. Look at verses 10 through uh, 12. Paul brings this section to a close, and I'm calling this emotional help. He says, when Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord just as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. In verse 12, he says, one more item. Now concerning your brother, our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers but it actually was not at all his will to come now. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Granger and I laughed about that. Apollos, apparently they were like, hey, when's Apollos coming back? And he's like, eh, talk to Apollos, not so much. He's not really planning on coming. Sorry about that. But he will come when he has opportunity. So what we see here is Paul encourages them. Paul expects them. Paul expects that the gospel will produce within them a willingness to help Timothy emotionally. Now, he says uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he tells us why Timothy was coming to see them. He said, Timothy was coming to remind you of Paul's, of my ways. They were, he was coming to remind them of Paul's ways. And so they were at odds with Paul. And so Timothy now is coming kind of as his ambassador. And Paul saying, look, I know you're not really thrilled with me right now. And I know I'm sending Timothy to come see you. And he's representing me. He says, but the gospel demands that you treat him with love. You look at verse 10, what he says. He says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease. He says, see that you put him at ease. And look at verse 11. He also says, see that you do not despise him. In fact, the two negatives don't despise him and don't cause fear, which is what ease is. Don't cause him to fear, but instead help him. Give him help. Help him in his way. Help him on his way in peace. And so what we see here is even when there are disagreements, even when there are disagreements, uh, differences among us, and we have difference of opinions, or, or we don't see eye to eye on things, the gospel demands that we show each other love. He says, don't despise. You know what that means. He, he's saying, don't, you think of a person who you're not getting along with, you're not really seeing eye to eye, and, and, and You've been writing back and forth and you're emailing back and forth, you're texting back and forth and you're just not seeing eye to eye and then you hear, they say, hey, I'm coming, coming to see you and you immediately are filled with emotions. And, and when they come, your emotions are going to want to dictate, hey, you know what? 
I'm going to show them contempt. I'm going to despise them. I'm going to put them in fear. Paul says, no, that's not what the gospel does. The gospel produces a love, a willingness to put them at ease, even if we're at odds. So even when there are disagreements, even when there are differences, the gospel says we've got to love one another. We've got to be that kind of of grace. We've got to show that kind of grace to them. And you know what the Bible says about God's, God's death for us on the cross? It says that God demonstrated his love for us while we were even his enemies. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us after we got right with him. He died for us while we were still rebelling against him and at odds with him. He sought at great cost to himself to love us, to give us grace that we might be reconciled to him. And that's what the gospel demands of us. We are called to love those we would even consider our enemies within the church and outside the church. So the gospel love produces a, a willingness to help others financially. The gospel, the love of Christ produces within us a willing to help each other in very practical ways. And the gospel produces within us a willingness to help others in emotionally and not to try to make them pay the price for our disagreement. I want to read a letter to you. This is from one of our church members. Now, the incredible thing is that this letter was written before, I did not coordinate my message and these points with this letter. And yet you'll see how incredibly parallel the points are. I'm gonna take out the names. I just don't wanna let that be a distraction. I just want you to be blessed by this note, this note of love and appreciation from one of our own members within our church family. It says this, the church has helped me financially, spiritually, and emotionally. The church, and then she names so many people, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so assisted me with repairs on a vehicle. The church and these members names five specific families, says they have assisted us with repairs on our van, with paying our rent, and even with our car note. And then so-and-so and his wife sat down with me every two weeks to go over our finances. And then so-and-so helped us with groceries for three months. And then when I had surgery, the food train was such a blessing. Members of the church also blessed me independently with financial assistance. So-and-so put me in touch with so-and-so who helped me with legal documents. No one, I mean no one, ever asked for anything in return. I have always felt welcomed with open arms, hugs, and kisses. Although many may have known my situation, no one seemed to judge my failures. Being a member of Norse Ferry, words can't explain. 
This has taught me your faith never wavers, even if you feel it does, that family is not blood. All of you are my family. Money. Money doesn't make you. What the Lord has blessed you with, you should bless others. Now, don't get me wrong. You work hard for every penny you have, but at the end of the day, helping another should be a reward in itself. Norris Ferry has helped me for over six months until I could do better for myself and my family. Their assistance helped me get back on my feet and on track with financial obligations. Looking at me, you probably would, would have never known what I was going through. You know why? Because I knew my father was there. Heavenly Father was there. He won't take you to it and not take you through it. I like that. I am a firm believer, they continue, I am a firm believer that our paths are already written. We just have to follow them. And if we stray, being one of his children, he will get you back on track through the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've definitely been through it. Prayers, calls, texts, words of encouragement. Oh my, I can't. You guys were too good to me. I was placed at Norris Ferry, not for all the above, but for me to experience the warmth, the love, the epitome of what Christians are supposed to emit through the image of Christ. This has taught me how to save for a rainy day, how to manage my money, and most of all, paying it forward to help others in need as well. I just want to say it again. I love you guys. I love you all, Norris Ferry, with lots of emojis. End quote. Church family, praise the Lord. That is gospel love. Financial love, practical love, emotional love. Thank you, church family. And thank you, Jesus. Father God, we praise you because we know that the, this kind of love doesn't come from our, our own nature, our own natural inclinations, that that is produced by your spirit. And we praise you, Lord, that when you look at us as your enemies, that you didn't give us what we deserved. Instead, you loved us by coming to this earth in the form of a man to be our substitute sacrifice on the cross, to, to pay for our sins, to be buried and to rise again from the grave, to give us victory over the grave, that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, we praise you, and I pray that all who hear this message will turn and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation with God, that it is the work of God that we cannot do it on our own. We need you to do it for us. May they come to know you as Savior. May we glorify you. May you expand the breadth and depth of the love that we have in this church family, that we will be known as a people who love each other and love this community with the love of Jesus Christ. 
And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New every more.
for joining us for worship. My name is Kevin Wilsey, and I'm a minister on staff here. And if you are watching and are a guest to Norris Ferry, do me a favor and text NFCC guest to 97,000. This will help us get you connected during this time of isolation. Also, I want to point out two things on our website, norrisferrychurch.org. If you've been wondering how to give during this time, please go to our homepage and click Worship Through Giving. And that will take you through the steps on how to continue to give. Secondly, if you have a prayer request or need, please click the At Home tab on top of our homepage, and you will find a form to fill out so we can be praying specifically for you, and we can help care for you during this time. Now let's close with this benediction. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Have a blessed week.